0: Well, it's good to be back with you. I've looked for you week after week after week. And I haven't seen you in church, so evidently God moved on your hearts. Here you are today. People always ask me how my sabbatical went. Some still call it a vacation. No, it's not a vacation. It's a month away from my usual duties so that I can just... Listen to the Lord and seek the Lord. I often take a week of vacation during that time, but August is my time to get apart the way Jesus used to get apart and just talk to the Father and listen to what he had to say. This sabbatical was more interrupted than perhaps any I've had. Life happens while we're planning something else, but God can still speak in the midst of the interruptions, and I'll be sharing some of the things I felt that he spoke to me. Next weekend, I want to begin a new series that will take us into the next year. We'll be pausing for our missions month and certainly the celebration of Jesus' birth, but it'll take us well into next year. I'm going to start a series on the Old Testament book of Daniel. And that's the reason why we asked Marquis to spend the last two weeks doing a dramatic rendering of the biblical text. He gave us, using his incredible giftedness, the view from 30,000 feet. Now in the weeks ahead, we're going to get down into the forest and start looking at the individual trees. And as we do, you're going to discover... That a book written many, many centuries ago could not be more relevant for our situation today. Because the book of Daniel tells us how God's people, living in a culture that is hostile to their faith, can maintain their faith, maintain their witness, and be effective representatives of God even among a pagan world. So the book's going to be very, very relevant, but I didn't want to start this weekend before growth groups and during the holiday, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to lift a passage out of the Old Testament book of Isaiah, and here's why. You'll see next week that the book of Daniel begins by describing God's people in a very, very hard and bad place. And Daniel, in the opening lines, made it clear it wasn't because of God's failure. It was because of failure on the part of their predecessors. Well, the passage we're going to look today from the book of Isaiah tells us how that failure unfolded. It was a matter of misplaced trust. Now, the passage I'm going to read is symbolic, so it's going to sound very strange as I read it, filled with hard-to-pronounce names, but as we unpack it, it should all become clear. And if it doesn't become clear, then you need to get somebody else up here who can do a better job, all right? (laughs) Isaiah chapter 8, verses 6 and 7. Here's the message the prophet delivered. "'Inasmuch as these people,' that was Judah,' have rejected the gently flowing waters of Shiloah, and rejoice in reason and the son of Remaliah. All words you've used this past week. (laughs) Now therefore, behold, the Lord is about to bring on them the strong and abundant waters of the Euphrates, even the king of Assyria, and all his glory. And it will rise up over all its channels and go over all its banks. Today I want to talk to you about a fundamental choice that we all must make. Will it be the brook or will it be the river? Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, there's much at stake whenever we gather like this in Christian community to consider the living word of our Creator. Destinies are at stake. Families are are at stake. People's emotional and spiritual health is at stake. Their witness is at stake. And we're in a culture that is in great danger and needs our witness to be clear and uncompromised. So a lot of things are at stake whenever we encounter you through your word. Toward that end, I pray two things. By your spirit, enable me to preach and teach your word faithfully. And by that same Spirit, open the eyes of our understanding. Help each one of us to hear that one truth that you ordained for us today. And then help us to flesh it out in our life. We pray this with confidence. We pray it for the sake of God's honor and for the sake of our witness in the world. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. And as we listen for God's voice together today, may the Lord be with you. <clears throat> when I was a boy, my family regularly visited my maternal grandparents in the little town of Emlenton, Pennsylvania. Emlenton sits right on the banks of the Allegheny River in Venango County, small community that rose up largely because of the oil refining industry. Well, whenever we would visit Emlenton during the 60s, we would always check out the most recent indicators of progress on a massive highway construction project that was unfolding there. It was the construction of the Interstate 80 Bridge at Emlenton. And it was a significant project because at that time, it represented the highest in elevation bridge Interstate Bridge in the United States of America. It stands a dizzying 270 feet above the Allegheny River. And as we would check out the progress each week, my father would talk to us about that construction project, and I remember him telling me that most of those men you see working what they call the high iron are Native Americans, many of them from the Mohawk tribe. Now, there are various theories as to why the Mohawks were so adept at working the high iron. Theories run from their own innate abilities to nothing more than financial need and willingness to do a dirty job nobody else would do. But if you know our nation's history, most of the high iron work in that period was carried out by various Indian tribesmen and especially the Mohawks. And my dad also told us a tragic story. He said somewhere else in the country, on a similar type of construction process, a Mohawk worker had died just two days before the project was completed. As he was about to do his final inspection, he attached his safety harness to a steel beam that appeared to be secure. He didn't realize for some reason, somebody failing to take their responsibility seriously, that particular steel brace had never been riveted in place. Well, he subsequently tripped, and when he tripped, his weight caused the beam to dislodge, and he fell to his death. And he died tragically and unnecessarily for two reasons— He made a false assessment, and he put his trust in something that wasn't worthy of his trust. Now, today, we're going to consider the story of a man who did a similar thing, only with far more, with more far-reaching, tragic results. He made a false assessment, and he put his trust in the wrong place. He had more confidence in his own wits than he did in God's Word. His name was Ahaz, and he was the king of Judah. And during his tenure, the nation of Judah was threatened by an alliance between two of Judah's strongest, most determined enemies, the nation of Israel to the north and the nation of Syria. Now Ahaz knew that the combined armies of Israel and Syria were far greater than the relatively small army of Judah. And because his trust in God was seriously lacking, he reacted to that appearance rather than acting on God's word. And Ahaz was hardly the first to make that mistake, and he certainly wouldn't be the last. You see, we're all prone to react to appearances rather than act on God's promises. There's a reason why in Proverbs God said, trust in me with all of your heart and don't lean on your own understanding. And the good reason why God said that is because we all tend to trust something or someone other than God and to lean unto our own understanding. We're prone to judge situations by what we see, by what we hear, by our past experience, by our human assumptions, rather than responding to things on the basis of God's Word. We tend to place our hope in what is called prevailing human wisdom, only to find it doesn't prevail and it isn't wisdom because it's human, and therein lies its inherent weakness. You see, as created beings, we only see the outside of things and the moments immediately before us and behind us. What we can't see is the inside of things and the moments that lie out ahead of us. Only God sees those things. And because of that, if we rely on our own appraisals, those appraisals are going to be sorely limited. Left to ourselves, we aren't equipped to understand what God is up to. Left to ourselves, we often misinterpret what we can see because our vision gets distorted by our pride, by our fears, and by our insecurities, and perhaps by old, unhealed wounds. We see what we want to see rather than what God sees. So despite the confident boast of humanity left to ourselves, we aren't equipped to determine who or what is worthy of our trust left to ourselves. But the good news is God hasn't left us entirely to ourselves. He speaks truth to those who are willing to hear him. And as today's story will show, sometimes God speaks truth to people who aren't willing to hear him for the sake of other people who are part of the conversation. And that was the case with Ahaz. He was determined to trust his own thoughts rather than God's word. But his decision was going to affect a whole lot of folks. So God sent the prophet Isaiah to him. And he told the king, you're making a mistake, you're overreacting, you're panicking, things aren't as they appear. God wants you to trust him in this and he'll have your back. But Ahaz turned a deaf ear to the prophet. Instead, relying on his own wits, he embarked on what he must have thought was a master stroke of foreign diplomacy. And in so doing, he attached his nation's safety harness... To something that proved to be a colossal mistake. To something that quickly proved unworthy. Because what he did, fearing their adversaries, is he went to the mighty Assyrians. At that time, the strongest empire on the face of the earth. And he asked the Assyrians to become his ally against Israel and Syria and to preserve his nation's freedom. Now, the Assyrians were happy to respond to that invitation because politically, they had always wanted to plant their flag in Israel and Syria, and now Ahaz was opening the door for them. So they agreed to do so. And what happened next teaches us that misplaced trust ultimately gives access to evil. Let me say that again. Misplaced trust ultimately gives access to some evil that you haven't known before in your life. Now, like many bad decisions, the foolishness of Ahaz's decision wasn't apparent immediately. Because the Assyrians did come in, and they quickly dispatched Israel and Syria. And it looked like the plan had worked. Judah was going to be spared. But you see, once they got into Judah, they started looking around and thought, hey, while we're taken, let's take this too. They certainly don't have the stuff to resist us, and so they quickly subdued Judah. They said to the king who had invited them, thank you for the invite, and while we're here, we're going to take your nation as well. So Ahaz's brilliant strategy didn't save his nation. It just bought them a little bit of time and exchanged one conqueror for another. And the bottom line was the same. So Ahaz learned the hard way that when we trust something other than God, the ally that came to help stays to conquer. Now if you don't remember anything else today, hold on to that point. When you put your trust in something other than God, that ally, that you invite in to help, will stay, not to help, but to conquer. And here's why. Every substitute for God is an idol, and idols always appear as helpers, but they eventually prove to be rulers who demand everything. Now, you want a clear example of that? Addiction. The thing that promises help does what? Sticks around and soon demands everything. The thing the person looked to for assistance comes into their life and it remains not to assist but to rule. To take utter control of their life. And what's true of every addiction is true of the most Pervasive addiction embraced by humanity, our addiction to our self-sufficiency and our own understanding that we know better than God. But it's always, excuse me, it's always a disaster because to trust something other than God is to essentially forsake God. And when we forsake God, we inevitably lose our freedom. Because if God doesn't rule your heart, someone or something else will rule your heart. And whatever it is, it is intrinsically inferior to God. It can't deliver the goods. It will ultimately enslave you and ruin you. Scripture says where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Liberty, what's the other side of that? Where you put something other than the Spirit of the Lord, there is the loss of liberty. There is bondage. Because what comes to help stays to rule. Now, to underscore the tragedy of misplaced trust, God used a word picture. And here's where our awkward text comes into play. He made a contrast between a well-known brook that was called Shiloh and the mighty river Euphrates. And in God's symbolism, the brook was going to symbolize how God works. And the river was going to symbolize why substitutes for God never work. The Shiloh as a brook was quiet. The Euphrates, as a mighty river, was noisy. And God intended that contrast to remind us why we're so easily tempted to trust someone or something other than God. It's because God often works quietly while the world shouts. And we're prone to seek help where the volume is loudest. We're suckers for noise. Every politician running for office banks on that. So do advertisers. And sometimes, so do the people of God. I would remind you, no less a prophet, miracle-working prophet, than Elijah himself. Assume that he would find God in the volume of the earthquake. That he would find God in the volume of the wind, that he would find God in the fire, and he didn't find God in any of those places. He found God in a quiet, almost imperceptible whisper because God often works quietly. Some churches never get that. They think the noisier they are when they gather together, the more the Holy Spirit is in their midst, when in reality, the contrary may be true. They get so noisy they can't hear the still small voice of the Holy Spirit. When Ahaz was faced with the choice between the brook and the river, he chose the river. The brook was the prophet Isaiah, one man with a word from God. The river. The mighty Assyrian Empire with all of its economic and military might. He opted for volume rather than substance. And he forgot that a word from God is better than an empire with an army. Because empires and armies fade, the word of God endures forever. The Assyrians are long gone. The word of God is still here. Now, God took the symbolism further. He reminded Ahaz, you know, rivers are prone to overflow their banks. They flood, and when they do, they bring about great destruction. Now, that was God's symbolic way of saying that substitutes for God eventually destroy everything that they provide. Substitutes for God eventually destroy everything that they provide. The spiritual, emotional, relational, financial benefits that we secure through misplaced trust have a shelf life and an expiration date, and it's very brief. It's not a matter of will they be lost, it's a matter of when will they be lost. And the benefits will be swept away by the very thing that we were looking for to produce the benefits. Again, let's take some analogies from the world of addiction. The chemical buzz of heroin that once brought escape and momentary relief inevitably overflows its banks and it becomes a dehumanizing bondage that defies relief. The riches and the abundance of goods that promise to give meaning to life soon only serve to underscore the meaninglessness of riches and material goods. The pornography that immediately brought (coughs) satisfaction overflows its banks and, as many are discovering, becomes a lust that defies any satisfaction whatsoever and that prohibits any joy. Idols always take back what they initially gave every substitute for God will eventually take back what it initially gave because it overflows its banks. It goes too far. It goes places where only God should have been allowed to go. Now, we know here in the Pittsburgh area, especially if you live in some spots in Millvale and down near Sawmill Run Boulevard, that after a flood, what does a river leave behind? Thick deposits of mud. And substitutes for God do the same thing. After they overflow their banks and take what they had once given, they bury your hopes, they bury your dreams, they bury your self-worth, they bury your joy beneath layers of disappointment and anger and fear and woundedness and disillusionment, bitterness and despair. And when that happens, cleanup can be difficult. And some things can't be salvaged. Now, since we're all prone to put our trust at times in the river rather than the brook, let me give you words of hope for when you do that. I'm not even going to say if you do that, for when you do that. When we misplace our trust... God doesn't misplace his heart. Will you say that with me? When we misplace our trust, God doesn't misplace his heart. He remains faithful even when we're unfaithful. And as Daniel will make it clear in the opening verse, it's that reason why God allowed Judah and Ahaz to be conquered. Could God have stepped in and stopped the Assyrians? Of course. He could have stopped it with a thought. But he didn't. He allowed the Assyrians to conquer his people. Now, God knew Ahaz's scheme was a house of cards. But God also knew Ahaz didn't believe that, and the people of Judah didn't believe that, and they needed to believe that if they were ever going to get right with God. So God allowed the whole thing to come crashing down. Daniel understood that. That's why he led his book with that statement. But while God didn't prevent the flood, in something he said right after our text, he made it clear he was going to control the extent of it. Because here's what he said, continuing the flood symbolism. He said, and the waters, when the Euphrates overflows, when Assyria steps in, the waters will only come neck high. That was God's way of saying a lot of damage has got to happen, but I'm not going to allow Judah to be destroyed. I'm not going to allow Judah to be annihilated. I've set a limit for how far the waters can rise. Judah could not come to an end as a nation because the Messiah of all humanity, the Lord Jesus, was going to come out of Judah. Judah had to survive. And God had promised the survival of Judah. So he said to the waters, yes, you can can come in, but you can only come this high. When we trust something or someone other than God, In his love, he may allow a flood to sweep through our life. But when he does, he says to the water, this high and no higher. Because my floods aren't meant to destroy. They're meant to instruct. They're meant to correct. They're meant to inform. They're meant to teach. And they're meant to advance your joy and your prospering, and your eternal destiny. God limits the floods because he cares about us, and he cares about those who need to hear about him through us. And that's why this story teaches us, when you combine it with Daniel, that when we misplace our trust, God doesn't misplace his heart. He doesn't step out of character. He lovingly puts us in our place. In short, he's a God we can trust. Now, when you trust God, that doesn't mean your life's got to be (laughs) problem-free. It doesn't mean you aren't going to face challenges. There are many things about God that are beyond our current comprehension. But there is nothing about God that is beyond our current trust. We don't live by God's explanations because many times he doesn't give them. We live by God's promises and our confidence in his unrivaled track record, his resume, and his heart. So I want to ask you today, where have you put your trust? In the brook or in the river? If you're a believer a follower of Jesus, and you're currently going through some life challenge, where are you putting your trust? If you're confronted by something that looks far greater than you and your resources, are you going to look to Assyria, or are you going to look to Isaiah and a word from God? Are you going to trust what God has said in his word, or are you going to roll up your sleeves and Dive into your own ingenuity and your own sufficiency and prevailing human wisdom. Who are you going to trust? Because if you attach your hopes to the wrong thing, you are got to be bitterly disappointed. Won't be the end because God is good, but you can't get back the opportunity. You can't get back the testimony And you can't get back all the things that God would have produced if you had trusted him. God restores a lot, but he doesn't restore everything. Lost opportunities are lost opportunities. And if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, then you've already been putting your trust in the river. And the river of unbelief makes a lot of noise. The volume is louder than it's ever been in this culture during my lifetime. But don't be a sucker for the volume. Don't be a sucker for the noise. Anything you try to plug into that God-shaped hole in your soul will disappoint you. God is the only thing that can fill that void. Anything else will be an addiction that will give you a little something-something to get you coming again. And then it will stay and take everything from you. So let's close in prayer. And if you're a believer and God has spoken to you about an area of misplaced trust, you know it. His voice is always clear. Now do business with him. Don't put him off. Don't debate him. And don't doubt him. Repent of doing it your way and put your trust where it should have never left. And if you're among us and you've never put your trust in Jesus to be the one who forgives your sin, restores your soul to what was intended, and gives you eternal life, right where you are in the quietness of your heart, reach out to him. He knows your every thought. And simply pray something along these lines. Lord Jesus, I believe you died and rose again so that I could be restored to trust in my creator and genuine, abundant life. I take Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I place my trust in him. Restore me, save me, and I will live for you as you empower me. Father, when you created us, you knew we would struggle to trust you. And we often do. But I'm thankful that when we're unfaithful, you're faithful still. And I'm thankful that in the days ahead, we'll consider young men who experienced the bitter harvest of Ahaz's foolishness, but maintained the joy of the Lord, their testimony. Young men who made a mark on eternal history. Father... When everything we see with our eyes says otherwise, help us to trust you. When the volume of unbelief is loud and your word is quiet, help us to trust you. Help us to choose the life-giving brook rather than the soul-crushing river. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.